0: Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power, continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Welcome to yet another episode of The Outer Hour. Firstly, thank you for joining us. If you're watching live, welcome to the show. Good to have you with us. Remember, you can interact with Wayne Duvenage and the team tonight by popping your questions and comments in the comment section down below this video. And uh, if you're listening or watching this episode after the live uh, version, then thank you for pressing play. I hope you stay with us for the duration of the episode. There's plenty to talk about and plenty to learn tonight. Let's say hello, first of all, to the CEO of Outer. We've missed him. He hasn't been around for a few weeks. And let's see, uh, how are you doing, Wayne DuVernage? How's life?
1: <laughs> well, I've been around. <laughs> Just haven't been on, <laughs> on, on Outer, maybe. Yeah, look... Uh, Life is hectic. I think for many people, uh, it's, it's quite frenetic, it's, uh, there, but there's a lot of good stuff happening, and we'll reflect a bit on that uh, in tonight's show, um, but yeah, the, the, the outer team is extremely busy doing fantastic work. It's been a, a very busy two weeks, and we'll share some of that with you, but yeah, having fun.
0: Well, let me echo what Anne Mountford is saying. Uh, you're back. Yay. Yeah, we had level four. I'm not sure it was level four. It looked like level 400 last week, Wednesday. Everyone's connection was down, and unfortunately, we weren't able to go live. But here we are, uh, another Outer Hour on your screen, and Anne Mountford says, You're back. Yay. We'll get through a couple of comments, but we'll pop them up on the screen so you can see the hellos as they come in. Ashley Muller says, Thanks, Outer. Clive Davis says, Greetings, everyone. Jonathan Murphy is tuning in from Buffalo, New York, over in the U.S. of A. Michael John Billsbury says good evening to the Wonder Team. Devotion Woodley says hello. And uh, keep the hellos coming because we'll pop them up on screen as they do. And remember to like and share this video. That's how we get the message out to more and more people. That's how we create more active citizens out of South Africans. It's very, very simple. Where you see the like button, hit it and hit that share button. And tell your friends about Outer Hour. Man in the lines down below. The video tonight is head of comms and marketing for Outer, Samantha Van Nispan, assisted by Iva Cleary. The show is put together by Benelis and Nutler. On the menu tonight, we will be talking about ETOLs. What's the latest? We'll ask the man himself, Wayne Divinage, uh, on the latest. News on Etol. There have been some developments this week, and we'll update you on that. We will also be talking about the National Youth Development Agency and finding out what AUTA's position is on public service appointments and political interference therein. Uh, Acevedo Kakaza will bring us up to date on the Auditor General's COVID-19 report, and then we will talk about the ruling parties. Um, the ruling party's measures that have been taken recently to combat corruption inside the party and inside government. Uh, and we'll ask Wayne Divinage to uh, give us Outer's opinion on what we've seen happening with the ruling party and its response to corruption lately. So, welcome to the show. Let's get to it, shall we? And start with uh, an update on ETOLS. Wayne, just recently, Sanrell uh, put out a, a, a statement, it was in the news, that uh, because people, and I hope I've got this right in a nutshell, that because people aren't paying for e it has compromised the finances of Sanrel. What is your position on that, Wayne, or your response?
1: Yeah, Tom. Um, I, I think what's it, what's important is that uh, you know, Etol's has been uh, our, our, our initial project. It's been and it still is a, a very big project for us. Uh, we've always said that we are going to challenge this matter until the scheme is scrapped. Uh, however, we do that, and uh, if it if it requires litigation, which is why we launched the uh, defence umbrella. 3,000 people who have been summoned. Uh, 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 we are defending uh, them. We have the mandate from them to to manage this, and it was put into this test case space. i I'm just going back a little bit in time, mm-hmm. uh, but Etels was launched, turned on uh, nearly seven years ago, and uh, and prior to that, there was a was a massive fallout between society and, and Sanral on this, uh, and despite all the advice and civil society's feedback, political parties, unions everybody that this was a big mistake they decided to go ahead nonetheless thinking that an aggressive approach would intimidate people into paying for something that was as we've always deemed it, grossly irrational very expensive administratively cumbersome and unworkable and finally fraught with corruption because the roads cost twice the amount they should have and the etol tender uh, for the collection process was 61% higher than Samuel told us what the uh, winning tender came in at. Uh, and, uh, and So the difference between the actual contract signed was 61% higher. So massive uh, uh, reasons, many reasons why civil society had every right and also stood there with civil society def- to defend their rights. Not because we don't agree with the technology. Not because we don't believe in user pays. Um, the technology works in many parts of the world. And it's good. There's nothing wrong with a with private partnership processes that finance roads and infrastructure. This happens around the world. But it can only work if it's it's administratively workable and the people are uh, willing. If there is no willingness by the public because, A, they have been ignored in the decision, they were not consulted, Uh, the the, the tariffs are too high, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't work, they cannot participate and many can't. Uh, then, then uh, the people start falling out. And if, if, if you want to introduce a user pay scheme, uh, this is what our message to government is, make sure you can administer it, make sure it's fair and equitable, and that it applies across the board, and that all users pay, not 90%, not 80%, not 70%, all of them. But so, so that's the one side on, on, the, on, the, on the workability. The technology works in certain environments. In this environment, it didn't. Uh and, and and then you have all of this the, the this corruption that we're talking about. So in a nutshell, um we've said to and, and this week uh Sanral now came out with another statement, from uh, Skumbuzo Mokazoma, the CEO of Sanral, uh, to to really put it to the public that um you know we have a massive backlog in, in, in road maintenance and, and, and expenses on a national basis. And it's because you guys in Kha um didn't want to play ball. You didn't want to pay for your e And here's the nub and the, and the long and short of this issue. That is absolute nonsense. The national road network issues are not going to be financed by Kharteng. How dare they put that blame into a Kharteng resident's laps? The, first, that, the, the second thing is that if you look at what Sanrol would have earned from Kharteng road users, had they got their way, in other words, had they got 90% plus uh, of, of the supporters, uh, of sorry, of the road users in Kaateng, to pay their e bills as they had designed it and desired it to be, they would have raised over 25% of their annual income from 1% of their road network. Now, that's not a user-pay scheme. That's an abuse of user-pay scheme. That's an overpayment scheme. Uh, and this is what's happening now because they didn't get their way and they had anticipated these, these 3 billion rand a year of which 1 billion was going to go. And I'm just rounding the numbers off mm-hmm. to the collection system, which there is the big question mark as we said, Tom, earlier that there's, there's a whole question around this offshore company uh, 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 making more money than they should ever have uh, in this matter with no explanations uh, or, or feasible ones or plausible ones from San And so... Um, Sanro says, now this backlog is our fault. Nonsense. What we've got to keep reminding Sanro is that our solution, which was a 10 cent increase in the fuel levy back in 2008, when they'd made this plan to go ahead, would have already paid off the 18 billion Rand, which is double the price they should have. We shouldn't have paid more than 9 billion Rand for this 186 kilometers upgrade. So until they come back with the answers, until they go after the people that pushed up the cost of this road construction, which lands in our lap, not theirs, we finance Sanro until they start realising that we pay their salaries, and so, until they start realising that their arrogant attitude is not going to win them any favours from society. Uh, and, 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 the, and this week, you know, you heard Skumbuza Makazoma giving a lot of lip service to we are doing what's best for society. Well, that's nonsense. If you just go and speak to the Amadiba um, um, community down in the uh, Wild Coast, what Sanro is trying to do uh, in, in, in building a toll road right through uh, their, 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 their homelands and their areas where they live. And the community there has shunned the system. Uh, and then he says, no, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're uh, doing things in line with community desires. It's, it's just not true, and certainly not in the counting matter. And we've had other complaints about that. Here's another issue we've asked so long, Is Can we see the numbers and the figures on the long-distance toll routes, the three concession routes, and they don't want to give that to us? We're going to court on that now. It's so sad that this information we're entitled to, they don't want to give it us. So this lack of transparency, uh, they have the audacity to tell us that that they're working with society. That's nonsense. And we'll get on to the whole concessions. We've spoken about it before their developments, and we'll talk about that in another show. But we believe that there are private companies getting extremely rich where they shouldn't be, and uh, we need to get the information to, to, to unpack that. So the long and short of the ETOL developments at the moment is that... Formally or officially, the plug hasn't been pulled. Officially, our court case, which we were waiting for Sanro and ready to go to court on the test case, mm-hmm. that would then spill out into defending the 3,000 plus motors, some of them big uh, companies with multi million rand outstanding ETOL bills, uh, but many, many ordinary citizens between 10,000, 50,000 rand, 80,000 rand outstanding. That case, we were ready to go and defend. And then in March last year, just before the elections, the pres- uh, Ramaphosa, the president, t- tapped him on the shoulder and said, "Stop, you know, fighting with the citizens. Put a hold on this uh, uh, summoning and litigation. Find a solution." We'll, uh, he'll toss. He tossed uh, Mbalula, uh, Fakil Mbalula, the transport minister, to find a solution, and to find one within two weeks. That was in the middle of last year. Well, here we are. Beyond the middle of this year, uh, they still haven't got the solution. So the scheme is just limping along. Uh, the compliance levels have dropped now below 20%. They're now only earning about 40 to 50 million rand a month uh, as opposed to 300 million. Uh, and, and, and we will stay the course and we continue to tell the public the quickest way to kill the scheme is when that the money, the 40 to 50 million rand they're still getting, will go below. What they need to pay uh, for the collection process when it gets there then sandra will have no choice it. but until then and we know that car rental companies a few a few corporates who don't like fighting with government uh, and uh, and a few government departments are paying it all the rest of civil society have said we are not participating
0: Wayne, as you mentioned, towards the latter half of last year, we South Africans were told that uh, government would come back with a response and a solution to eTOLs. Have you heard anything from the transport minister in the last, well, it's almost a year now? Uh, and if not, what do you make of that? Yeah, well, we, we, we met
1: with them. They wanted us to give our input. We did. We, put a, we updated our, our position paper we call, called Beyond the eTOL Impasse, um it's it's on our website it's a very uh, comprehensive document with a lot of uh, research that we've done and solutions so we're not just an organization that throws uh, stones at government we provide solutions um and uh and i think we opened their eyes because what what amazed us tom and this is this is what frustrates us is us meeting with various uh people in different parts of government treasury and and, and other areas who were putting questions to us but how can we cancel this this contract the the penalties are too big and we had to remind them and say there are no penalties the contract has expired and these are officials that were arguing for why etols has to stay in place and they had completely the wrong facts completely so when we engaged with them and showed them our our, our solutions our options um, the hybrid of options that are available the real issues they were awakened to the fact that actually, the solution is there and it's already being applied because government has already been giving SAMRAL the funds to cover the shortfall in the bonds that they weren't getting from etons. And so so, so exactly what we asked for, take funds from the fuel levy, uh, increase it by 10 cents, they have increased increased it over this period by two rand and 35 cents by now. So they've got more than enough of that money. Um, obviously the pandemic has changed things but we must always be mindful of of the hindsight of where we've come from on this matter and long before the pandemic had they adopted artist approach the scheme would have been paid and the bonds would have been paid now as we sit here today but that wasn't going to suit their agenda their agenda was to have fat amounts of money lucrative funds going into an offshore company's bank accounts the profits there are well, well done to the public for not giving them that opportunity. This this must be seen as, in the new dem- democratic era era of, of, of South Africa, one of the biggest successes as, as civil defiance, as a civil campaign to say to government, not on our watch if it is irrational, not on our watch if you don't consult as the law requires you to do, not on our watch when... These schemes are just so cumbersome and unmanageable. Will we participate in schemes like this that are fraught with corruption. We will teach you a lesson. And society has done just that. And, and we must commend the people for standing strong.
0: When you mentioned the uh, offshore company and uh, the contract that expired or, or came to its end, uh, mm-hmm. any word on what's happened with that contract? Well, so what happened?
1: is it, it came to an end in, in, in five years after operating so the end, end of uh, well they started in December 2013 so 2018 uh, December but there was a clause uh, that government uh, and the government laws allow them to extend the contract for another year uh, which they did but they had another proviso that it can be two years extended by one year and then they, last December because they hadn't found the solution mm. they just extended it again so electronic tolling uh, company etc uh, it, it was the, is, is the uh, uh, operator of the system, uh, and it's been running by December this year for seven years. Now, they can't extend it again, and if you're going to put a tender out for this scheme, you do it a year in advance. There's three, four months left. So everything points to the fact that they've got no choice but to pull the plug. They can't rush out and tender for this uh, 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 system. It takes years. People have to really unpack and, and, and to take over the system if, if the current tender, uh, current service provider loses and a new service provider comes yeah. in. So everything really points to the fact that there's just, there's just no willingness and appetite for governments to, to even think of extending. Well, they can't. Uh, so it's dead. But it's running.
0: Yeah. If the appetite uh, not to extend for five years is it's not there, why, has e-tols, or why have ETOLs not been scrapped?
1: Well, that, that's our question. We, they should have scrapped it. They were about to, Tom, by the way. Uh, just before uh, President Ramaphosa came on in the middle, towards the end of March this year, to announce the pandemic and the lockdown, the weekend before that, um, all the announcements were coming out from government, from uh, from the ANC, uh, the, the, the the provincial ANC, because they were getting ready... They obviously had inside information that the scheme was going to be, uh, the, the alternatives were going to be put in place. Mm. And the ANC obviously wanted to claim kudos. This was all their work and doing. So they were ready. We could see the statements were coming out from the province saying, you know, the, the end of ETOL's announcements are due this weekend. And uh, obviously the pandemic got in the way. So, so now we've just kicked the can down the road for another six, six months. Wow. But we do believe there is going to be some, some announcement shortly.
0: Wayne, let's get to a couple of comments and questions from our viewers. Uh, Rachel Fisher says, hello, from Pretty Pretoria. And it does get pretty this time of the year when the jacarandas are in bloom. Clive Graham Beckett has the question he asks uh, every every episode, actually. Anybody gone to jail recently? And I'll rephrase that. How much closer do you think or how or are we close to seeing arrests or prosecutions by the NPA? It, 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 is it coming, Wayne? I mean, it's... Once again, it's, it's a waiting game for citizens of South Africa.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I want to talk about that at the end of the show when we talk about what the ruling party's uh, uh, rhetoric is lately, uh, what the signs are uh, around um, uh, moves in that, that direction. But uh, Klaus right? you know, uh, no big fish have uh, been arrested. There have been a number of people around the country, Mangum, some uh some some arrests taken place uh recently uh there with five government officials so things are happening uh but but not to the extent that we want but that's not any reason to 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 have this doom and gloom attitude because uh, we believe there, there are moves afoot right now. But we'll talk about that at the end of the show.
0: Sure. Okay, so Clive, stay with us till the end of the show, and Wayne will answer that question. Ernst Kahn asks, why do some people still pay ETOLS? I know we've asked this question before, but we're, we're, we're years into this, and, and, and most people aren't paying. Why are there still some people paying ETOLS?
1: So, So largely, the 20% that are paying are largely corporates, uh, and I'll explain to you why. To be on the procurement lists of government, especially when it comes to uh, road infrastructure, um, the car rental companies and big corporates who own them, such as the Bolawoods of the world, the Imperial Groups, uh, Bidvests, and so forth, they've just got a blanket policy: you will pay your et- toll bills. We don't want to uh, have government tapping us on the shoulder uh, in discussions uh, with them. Why aren't you? Pay? Got it you know, why are you breaking the law, so to speak? Then there are a handful of individuals uh, who just believe, look, I don't want to get into trouble. I just, I'm a law-abiding citizen. Uh, you know, as much as we try and explain to them, some laws have to be broken. Uh, they have to be defied if they are laws that are not in the best interest of society and if they are laws that we can defend in court, which is what we are there for. But they decide, you know, it's their right and and, and that's fine. We've got no be for that. So it's a handful of individuals uh, and some you know, argue hard with us that mm. it's the right thing to do and it's because of ATA, that, that uh, That's what Skubuza says, that, that all these woes and problems have and that we are perpetuating um, a mindset of, of don't pay your taxes. And that's nonsense. You know, we've uh, been uh, very vocal about how damaging a widespread tax revolt will be, but we have been very focused on, on, on tax revolts, where it is extremely necessary on issues like this, and in uh, and in local government where services are not delivered. So uh, yeah, uh, there's a handful, Tom, uh, and a few government departments. Protestant. In fact, most government departments are not paying their E-tolls.
0: Melanie or Milani Faree says they don't want to renew our licences if we don't pay E-tolls. Is that is that uh, correct, Wayne?
1: No, they can't do that. They threaten that they cannot. They cannot use one law to drive another law. Uh, so, so picture the scene. Uh, I'm a finance manager in in uh, in Beaufort West or a municipality, and uh, somebody wants to pay his license. Uh, he wants to renew his vehicle license, um, and 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 Sanral blocks that. Now, my revenue in my town, as the mayor and as the as the operations managers in in my town are being blocked because some car went through uh this car or some family member of his who drove this car went through one or two toll gantries and that bill is being disputed and we know that lots of bills are incorrect because they cloned number plates and so that law we've proven it we've shown them they will never be able to they did threaten it it will never stand up in court so they cannot withhold your vehicle license if you've got unpaid e-toll bills
0: Michelle uh, McGaw says the local roads are in a terrible condition. The, the local roads uh, don't fall under uh, Sanrals' mandate, do they?
1: No, they don't. So local roads, uh, municipal roads, regional, provincial roads, and you get national roads. Uh, allocations from the fuel levy are given to municipalities to maintain roads. Unfortunately, municipalities do not spend enough money on maintenance. And upgrading and new infrastructure, uh, and and that's the whole issue on its own. So yes, local roads are deteriorating rapidly, even in big cities like Khateng. You go through some of these rural uh, municipalities, the main roads are potholed like you cannot mm. believe. The central roads are maintained by central money allocated from the fiscus as well as uh, uh, toll money that to they collect on long distance tolls, and uh, through public private partnerships. Those are well-maintained. And Sanral, by the way, builds good roads. They've got good engineers. We've got no beef with them in their quality of roads. We've got our beef with them as their, as their uh, clandestine processes and uh, their lack of transparency. Uh, and then provinces have to maintain those roads in between that link up national roads and, and, re- and municipalities. A lot of those roads have been handed over to Sanral because provinces have just lost the uh, skills uh, the engineers and the ability to manage this. So, Sanro are taking over more and more of those provincial roads, and they are also having to, they are falling in disrepair. So, we've got, we got a backlog, as Kambuza Mugazoma says. I don't believe it's 400 billion, because just a couple of years ago it was 100, 100 billion. Then, a the heart got to 400 billion so fast. We do know roads do deter, deteriorate, and, and that, that cost of re- maintenance and rehabilitation does escalate quite quickly. Mm. So, we've got a challenge. But that challenge is a government challenge to work with society and find the solutions for, for maintaining and financing road infrastructure. Then when they get it wrong and they don't listen to society and then they start blaming us, <laughs> you know, we've got to teach them. We've got to show them that that's wrong.
0: Leonard van der Leidhaden says, uh, asks, what happens to the debt that South Africa owes if the system collapses? Inevitably, the citizens will pay. Will the e toll roads end up in disrepair because they have no money, which, could, which would be used as an excuse?
1: So you were breaking up there, Tom. I think you're a bit frozen. But I, I, I got part of the question was what happens to the debt? Yes. Well, the debt is a is a sovereign debt. It's a central debt. They went out and got bonds. They got bonds from CIPC to um, uh, to, to, to finance uh, the, 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 the road upgrade. Uh, and they were going to collect.
0: Okay, and I think we lost Wayne there for a second, hopefully for just a second. We'll see whether uh, he comes back. If not, we will reconnect somehow. Uh, In the meantime, uh, we've got Matt Johnston, who is on board. Matt is the Parliamentary Engagement Officer, uh, Manager for Outer. And we're going to discuss NYDA board appointments. For those not in the know, Matt, uh, and welcome. Uh, What is uh, the NYDA? What is it and why does it matter, the NYDA, for Outer and for South Africa? Matt, can you hear me?
2: Yes, I can. Okay. Hi, Tom. Go ahead. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the question, and i um, sorry for being late. No, problem. Um So, the, the NYDA is the National Youth Development Agency, and I'm happy to talk about this, because I don't think many people actually know what this is about, and that this has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the agency is mandated to operate at various levels, and I mean, the name says it all. It's supposed to develop the youth. So, i I want to put this in the context of South Africa being, uh, if not the country with the highest youth unemployment rate in the world, one of the most definitely. So this agency's mandate is really important. It's supposed to uplift the youth um, at both a national and provincial level, but also at local level. So it gets, uh, it gets a proper endowment of money um, to do this work. And it's... It's really mandated according to a specific piece of legislation that determines how it's supposed to work. And it really determines how the board is supposed to be appointed as well. Um, so all that's very clear. It's supposed to be a democratic process that's done in parliament. Um, but it's, its function is really important. It would, for example, support youth entrepreneurship. It would support um, community social cohesion programs at the local level. So these are are its functions.
0: Matt, uh, let's talk about appointments and board appointments specifically uh, and political interference. Are you picking up any political interference in key public service appointments and, and specifically at the NYDA and the board?
2: Yes, very much so. So, I mean, to be honest, it wasn't us to pick this up. There are several youth organizations such as the South African Youth Council, who actually reached out to AUTA to say, look, we've picked up uh, a letter that was sent kind of behind the scenes from the ANC's National Youth Task Team to the Deputy Deputy Secretary General of the ANC, giving their list of preferred candidates for this NYDA board. Like I said, there's a specific piece of legislation that governs how this board is supposed to be appointed. And it's it's quite specific. And it's supposed to be a kind of a transparent process in Parliament. They get a list of many candidates in this, or at least um, applicants. In this case, they got about 600. And this was in January this year. And ultimately, they went through the motions, which has to be quite a thorough process of shortlisting. Um, the criteria that were used for the shortlisting is all contained in a report that was published in Parliament earlier in, in August. And it really, it seems to be very specific and, and honest in the way it operated. And, and I want to say it's a particular committee in Parliament called the um, Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities. And I'm saying this because, you know, they, they function is really important. They really represent vulnerable groups in society. Yes. And in their report, they indicated that the process for shortlisting these candidates was really transparent, it was lawful, it was ethical, um, and it was done with integrity. You know, they use these kinds (laughs) of words very specifically. And despite that, the South African Youth Council came forward and said, yeah, we've seen correspondence that happened basically in the middle of this um, process, um, showing that ultimately the portfolio committee came to the same list of preferred candidates that the ANC's national youth task team had put forward you know and this this obviously suggests that the the list of candidates was preempted and the the appointment process wasn't based on merit but rather based on the ANC youth league's preferences and that's that seems to be in contravention of the legislation that governs how this thing is supposed to work
0: what are your comments regarding Parliament's failure to abide by the law, uh, the laws it makes? I mean, you know better than anyone else that uh, they are our lawmaking body. Uh, are, are you saying that they are not abiding by their own laws, the, parli- the Parliamentarians and Parliament?
2: Well, Tom, you know it's it's a very serious allegation to make, and it's not my it's not my judgment to make. Um, I think this is something that should be tested in a court of law, and as things stand at the moment that's exactly what's going to happen. So as I said, um, some people have already raised this issue, have brought legal action to say, you know, this committee has contravened this act. And I I want to just generalize this because it's an important issue that people should really be talking about. You know, Parliament is supposed to be this institution that embodies integrity, that stands for the people. And, I mean, at least if you, the producer of rules in society, then you should abide by them and if you don't I mean that's, that's indicative of a very sick society so I think there's a, there's a culture of non-compliance with, with legislation in government and Wayne also alluded to this earlier you know, talking about transparency people often actually say that AUTA as, as someone who or an organisation who is opposed to ETOLS actually promotes non-compliance but that's not true at all you know, the, the, the culture of non-compliance is, is in the state. And it's, it's when it comes to public officials like members of parliament who are elected democratically, they have to be the ones who really um, are the custodians of, of the legislation. And if they found to be contravening this law, then... You know serious action needs to be taken against them, and that's that 's exactly where we stand what action, we sent a letter what, to the speaker of parliament.
0: besides sending a letter uh, what else can outer and civil society active citizens do to hold parliament accountable if they fail to abide by their own laws
2: so i mean that 's a very tough question, and it 's something that we're working on every day, and it 's tough because uh, Parliament is in a sense immune from interference from the executive arm of government and the judiciary as well so there's very limited action that, that a court can bring in terms of how parliament does its work parliament is really only accountable to people and to the electorate you know to people who voted for them to be there but to the public in general so what we can do and i mean having this conversation with you is very very useful we can spread the word we can get people to pay attention ordinary people, like the viewers watching here, um, to really start watching what Parliament is doing and, and and to say when when this is out of order, when they obviously aren't behaving the way they sh- they should be, then, you know, there has to be public action. Um, we've rallied in front of Parliament several times, the organisations who actually make it their business in Cape Town to to go and protest in front of parliament to give them a very clear message to say that mm-hmm. we are dissatisfied with the way you are performing, with the way you are conducting yourselves because you are accountable to us, the people. Um, and I think the, the mistake that's been made very often thus far is that members of parliament see themselves as accountable only to political parties. And that's not the case. Um, by by law, they are accountable to us, ordinary people. And we should hold them accountable, not just organizations like Auta but people in general.
0: Sam and uh, Iver asked the question if any of our viewers have ever engaged with the NYDA. Uh, Kenny Mole said no. However, Devotion Mudley said yes. And Outer uh, asked, "And how was your experience, Devotion Mudley?" And Devotion said, "Very political and not transparent. Is that uh, is that indicative of 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 what you 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 see and and uh, and uh, experience when it comes to the NYDA?"
2: Absolutely. I mean, th- this, that's really the essence of of the complaint we have at the moment. Um, they really have to be um, accountable to the youth, and part of the, the the law that I referred to, you know, that governs the way that the board is supposed to be appointed, it also says that in this appointment process there needs to be um, involvement of the youth, which is its main constituency. Yeah. Kind of, it's it's the sector of society it's supposed to benefit, and. It can't be that only the, the youth organization of a single entity or a single political party determines who is actually in charge of how the resources at the NYDA's disposal is, is used. And that's our main point of contention.
0: Matt, will you keep us up to date in uh, upcoming episodes of The Outer Hour as to what's going on with the NYDA board appointments and your interactions with Parliament?
2: Absolutely. I would love to. Um, I think it's a really important issue. I think the youth in South Africa is is a section that's really neglected. So I'd love to. Um, We're going to make progress. We've already seen that this report that I spoke about that was faulty, that was flawed, um, has been sent back to that committee, has been rejected by the Speaker of Parliament. So we're making progress, but I'd be happy to give you some more. Future.
0: Wonderful. We'll hold you to it. The nation's <laughs> youth depend on the NYDA. Uh, and I think this is one that we need to follow. Thank you, Matt. Uh, we'll catch up at the end of the program with our goodbyes. Uh, but now, let me point you towards the Auditor General's COVID-19 report and what AUTA has found in it and AUTA's position on the Auditor General's COVID-19 report. Earlier today, I spoke to Asavela Kakaza, Legal Project Manager at Outer, about the AG's COVID-19 report. Take a look and take a listen. Joining us now is Acevelo Kakaza, Outer Legal Project Manager, to fill us in on the Auditor General's report with regards to COVID corruption. Hello, Acevelo. Good to have you with us.
3: Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me once again. It's an honor to be here and uh, hello to the viewers at home.
0: Asabella, let's talk about the uh, Auditor-General's report and the scope of it, uh, specifically when it comes to COVID-19 corruption. Fill us in on that, please.
3: Right. Thank you, Tom. So, this report is the first uh, special report on the government's financial management of the COVID-19 uh, initiatives. So first because um, the Auditor General has advised that there will be a second report that will be released in November 2020. So what happened here is the government gave an instruction to the Auditor General to conduct an of government's COVID-19 initiatives and in particular to look at the $147.4 billion, which was set aside for these COVID-19 initiatives. So what has done is to group these initiatives into three broad categories. And the first one being the payment of benefits and to relieve um, the economic and social distress. So that includes the UIF, the payment of 350 rands to the unemployed. Um, the second category includes the procurement of uh, personal protective equipment, PPEs, commonly known. Um, so yeah that's the second category and of course the last category is the frontline initiatives that introduced to uh, protect against and to manage the impact of COVID 19. so unfortunately um the um OG has found that across all these three um categories there have been fraudulent activities and there are people who benefited who are not supposed to benefit and yeah, there's been abuse of these funds. So it's really frustrating.
0: What are the reasons given by the Auditor General that led to the mismanagement of COVID 19 relief funds?
3: Right, um, Well, the AG speaks to a quite a number of reasons, but I think the few that stood out uh, to me were the first one being that information technology systems that were used by government were apparently not agile um, enough to. Uh, respond changes required. So we all know that um, you know, COVID happened in a spare of moment and uh, the government tried to respond as quickly as they possibly could. But apparently during that process there was lack of validation, there was lack of integration and sharing of data within the government um, uh, platforms, which led to people who were not entitled to receive benefits and grants receiving them. And the authentic applicants being unfairly um, rejected because of outdated information, and um, the other reason is that a um, uh, pre-existing deficiencies within the supply chain management uh, uh, um, processes of government. So apparently, that also contributed because, especially after the introduction of the emergent uh, uh, emergency procurement. Uh, uh, um, processes. Apparently, that helped in amplifying those deficiencies. And uh, the auditor said that there were you know, unfair processes that were followed, and there were fraudulent activities there as well. And there was just utter neglect of supply chain management. So that means that your PFMAs, your, FM, your MFMAs were not followed, and people just did as they pleased. And apparently people also didn't keep proper records. You know, there were no... Of proper records. Um, there was lack of control, so it, it, it it's very messy. from
0: where Yeah, I was going to describe it using that word. Sounds like a mess. What does outer make of the AG's uh, report, and what is outer doing about COVID nineteen corruption in general?
3: Yeah, uh, we welcome the report, of the AG, um, especially um, as far well as it speaks to. Uh, the fact that the AG will be working with other law enforcement bodies, such as the SIU, the Porks, and uh, uh, the uh, Commission, uh, the Competition Commission, the protector, just to ensure that are implicated are held uh, are held accountable. Um, and I mean, be that as it may, we also want to call on other law enforcement bodies, especially the MPA really do need the NPA to step up this time because, I mean, we have all this information and all these reports and yet no one going to jail. Because, I mean, Tom, this happened, this corruption and maladministration happened during a pandemic, you know, a time where people's livelihoods were compromised. People were losing jobs, businesses were shutting down and yet people still found opportunities to steal. I mean, clearly society needs to be protected against this. And um, yeah, so we want the NPA to step up, prosecute, and want to see them in jail. And um, as ALTA, we are pursuing our own COVID-19 project. And uh, we are firstly focusing on the Gauteng Health Department, uh, and in particular, the procurement of um, the personal protective equipment. Um, so we are currently investigating that. And as soon as we are done, we will be applying our, because we're also doing legal research on the side. So as soon as we are done, we hopefully uh, we will be able to hold those that need to be held accountable. So, yeah.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Acevella. And as always, thanks for joining us on Alpha Hour.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Tom. This was lovely.
0: Acevella always makes me smile, I can tell you, uh, and she brings great energy to the show. Thank you, Asavela. Wayne, just a quick question for you uh, relating to COVID-19 corruption. Are, are the wheels at outer turning when it comes to the investigations uh, and the spotlight being shone on, on COVID-19 corruption? What are you uncovering?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. As Acevella said, um, she's uh, heading up a project with a good team, uh, the investigations team, we take the information. We're now getting additional information. We put it into our our search engine. We've got a, a special um, platform that has been developed for us, uh, which we use. By the way, where all our uh, corruption information goes into the Gupta leaks are in there, and other leaks and hard drives of of, of, of other organizations uh, that we've uh, been managed to secure. And when we start putting all this information and start searching, it's it's a powerful search engine. And and tool that we use to uncover uh, what's gone wrong. So, for instance, we can start seeing the layers of the different companies, the directors, how they link to other organisations, whether they are in government, out of government, and uh, and, and and this this uh, um, forensic uh, investigation process then helps us to build uh, cases and show the big red flags uh, that we hand over to the authorities. Now, remember. Tom, there's only so much we can do. We are not, we, we do not have uh, the rights to go and arrest, to go and, uh, we can lay charges or criminal complaints, but it's up to the police and the uh, law enforcement processes to then go and formally charge and and and, and bring those charges to into the legal uh, system. Uh, but having said that, our work is extremely valuable to, to the people who we work with in those, uh, the law enforcement processes, and they 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 really do uh, uh, value what we do and and, and are happy to allow us to ensure that we can give them valuable information and build cases, by the way, and and almost literally uh, do their work. And we do a lot of this so that they don't have to um, go and spend a lot of time in trying to learn some of these systems. Uh, And I think this is a good example of society uh, working hand in hand with government to find solutions.
0: Wayne, let's move on to that uh, or into the area of accountability and prosecutions uh, and direct. I'm going to direct you to a statement that was made on the Outer Facebook page this week in response to the ruling party's announcement that members facing charges for corruption or serious crimes should step aside and face the party's integrity commission. Outer has said that's a significant step in the right direction, but it doesn't go far enough. Why not?
1: Well, before I get into that, Tom, um, I'll come to that now. I just want to catch up on the NYDA uh, discussion sure. that you had with, with, with Matt. The reason that this is important for us to challenge this is, uh, and what Matt was explaining, uh, this CADA deployment happens in these organizations and institutions where funds are allocated. This organization, the National Youth Development Agency, gets Uh, close to 600 million rand a year and with that they make choices uh, on allocating uh, funds grants these are not even loans they don't have to be paid grants to businesses that qualify but a they have to be youth uh, based b they have to be running in existence for six months and so on so you can imagine um, uh, how much money they allocate to entrepreneurship and it's a good thing but when when, uh, when that organization gets hijacked, like, like the, uh, uh, the National Lottery Commission and other areas, that's when you see the money not going to where it should go. Uh, and that's why it's very important uh, that, that, that we keep our fingers on, on the pulse. And this is the modus operandi in so many of our government institutions.
0: But Wayne, if another political party came into power at the next election, surely we could expect them to deploy their members uh, into uh, government positions. It's a, it's a natural thing that political parties w- would do. Uh, wh- where and why does it become problematic?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's not a natural thing if you do not uh, apply the principle of ruling in the best interests of society but if you want to rule in the best interests of your party as the ruling party has shown uh, its colors so often and you've heard presidents saying no party before country they've made those statements i mean that's how sick it is Uh, that's when you see the party enriching themselves through government funds like exactly this lottery commissions uh, funding that goes into the fiscus allocated to state-owned entities who then spend the money with their cronies on infrastructure upgrading and so forth. And that's, that's uh, that is what state capture is all about. But state capture, in the broader sense at the national level, state capture happens in municipal capture, uh, local government capture. Uh, and you see it across the board and in these institutions like the National Youth Development Agency. So that is just pure greed. That is people looking after their pockets who couldn't give a damn about you and I and the poor. Uh, because it is the poor ultimately suffer in this country when funds that are meant for clinics, for schools, for sanitation, toilets uh, is misspent, roads, uh, and 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 and, uh, and and finds its way into the back uh, pockets uh, of, of of directors of these uh, companies that are connected to government. Now, if you know whatever political party gets in um, to power, if if it is a political party that that sticks to the rules of governance as it is set up in our amazing constitution's powerful uh, and within the laws of the land then i can assure you this country would be an incredibly amazing country because uh, you know we've heard the money numbers bandied about but uh, the estimations are about half a trillion rand 500 billion rand lost lost to maladministration and corruption over the last number of years imagine just imagine what we could have done that's that's um, you know almost half uh, or certainly over a third of the of the annual national budget uh, a lot of money uh, could have got to the right areas and and that's the that's the sad reality i'm not even talking about wasteful expenditure i'm a bit uh, of a
0: am a bit of a skeptic when it comes to the behavior of uh, politicians and and i guess my question i'm going to rephrase it can we expect political parties in general to uh, abide by the ethics and the rules and the laws Uh, my personal feeling is we can't Uh, if we can't rely on political parties to behave ethically what needs to change within our system and procurement processes and laws to make sure that they they do not behave like this
1: Okay, so so, yeah exactly I mean politicians as we've often said uh, are, are the problem um, and if we, can, if we can hold government to account, if we can ensure that uh, the participation, the citizen participation processes are, are streamlined and efficient and, 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 and upheld, if we can ensure that there is transparency and accountability, then you start to see the uh, flow of money going in the right direction. And so what happened in state capture, and this is the headache we still sit with, is that government deliberately, under the Zuma administration, hollowed out the institutions that A, uh, enabled the law enforcement processes to take place, uh, B, uh, covered everything up uh, and and, and broke down the mechanisms of transparency, and obviously accountability couldn't take place if the the criminal justice system was was, uh, compromised. So... Let's go back, because what we are seeing, and this is what we wanted to talk about, is, um, is finally, you see a president who's now saying we, we just cannot continue like this as a ruling party. We cannot have catered diplomat. We cannot have people in government doing business with government. It's unethical. We cannot have people who have got charges, formal charges laid against them by the police. Um, uh, you know, being uh, on, uh, uh, you know, waiting for their court cases to to to, to come about, uh, and still be sitting in the seats of government, which is what we have, uh, and so they have started to talk against what they've been driving in the past, which is party before country. Uh, now, these are good signs, but what we are what we are seeing too much of is. Two things uh, there that you said, that we said in our statement, is have they gone far enough? No, because it is more than just people who have been prosecuted or in the process of prosecution. There are treason charges and complaints that we have laid against a number of uh, politicians. uh, and, uh, And yet these people sit in the portfolio committees as chairpersons. And the evidence is overwhelming. Mosibenziswani, Faith Mutambi, Tlamini, uh, uh Joe Mat Peterson. The list goes on. Um, these are the people that we want to see uh, the action being taken against as well. However, there was a second element that I that I wanted to say, and that is that it's all very well to 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 have the rhetoric and the lip service, but but until they start doing it and meaningfully, not one or two. Uh, Bongani Bonga and, uh, uh, um, and, and and a couple of others that have uh, had to sit down like a Gourmede. Uh, they still have their full salaries. So that's not good enough for us. You know, don't just step aside and go home and, and, uh, and read your books and have fun and go to the beach and get a salary. That's not on. Uh, and secondly, you know, <laughs> it was quite funny listening to the Deputy President David Mabuza and uh, Bladen Zamande, all now coming out and saying we must fight corruption. We must not tolerate corruption amongst our cadres and colleagues in it. Well, you know those very people are are extremely uh, deep in the mire when it comes to uh, uh, conduct uh, and misconduct. Bladen Zamande and his manipulation of the CETA boards. I mean, we're involved in a case as well. As uh, Stefani might reflect more on this. Uh, with regards to uh, manipulating and, 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 and just running roughshod over the due process. Now, when, when government and ministers start interfering uh, and break all the rules when it comes to board appointments, and we've seen it across the board through, uh, you know, for the last number of years, that is part of exactly what Matt was talking about. That is party patronage placements of people so they can hijack the system. So as far as we're concerned, Bladen Zamande. If you're talking about stepping down because you're involved in corruption or gross maladministration and maladministration is part of the corruption cycle then step aside my friend because you are part of the problem as is david babuza and others so so you know what government is doing or what the ruling party is doing is climbing onto this anti-corruption bandwagon Through lip service, nothing else. You know, it's okay for you to blade and, uh, and others to say, yes, we must stop this corruption. But what are you doing about it? What are you as a ruling party seriously doing about it besides one or two uh, people? I mean, you saw in the media today and yesterday, the VBS uh, people who have been seriously charged. Mm. Uh, uh, they are deep in the ship. I shouldn't say that, but deep in the mire. They are problematic. Uh, on that matter, and yet uh, they um, they're back at work earning salaries. That's not acceptable. Ruling party, what are you doing? Lip service. It's not good enough. So, in one sense, it's good that they they're upping the rhetoric. And then to come to your question, what do we do? That's what civil society is about. That's what that's what organisations like ours are. But ordinary citizens, there are lots of people doing good stuff. It is a about holding government's feet to the fire it is about supporting good media media that that tells these stories so well like the uh, the maverick and others um and making sure that uh, government th- 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 there is no rest uh, when it comes to the pressure that is put on them so so our team that matt and, and and others are in parliament making presentations opening their eyes to the facts uh those cases and those projects that we have And as you heard, Asavella, the the stuff that we're doing, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort to put together and research and put together hard facts and and arguments, good arguments. And I can tell you, and if you ask, Matt, uh, behind the scenes, we get a lot of feedback from MPs thanking Arthur answer for for saying it as it is, for for not uh, playing the man, but playing the ball, playing the real issue and not being emotional about the, 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 the stuff and, and and being factual about it. So when you know, I've always said and then Stefani and I were chatting about it the other day and we say, you know, often people say to us, but you know, you're not getting anywhere. Well we disagree. Uh, because you've got two options. You can do nothing and then we won't get nowhere. And this country has got amazing, amazing reasons why you need to fight for the for the to fix it. Uh, and the progress is there. It was certainly not there while during the Zuma era, but the seeds C- and the stuff we did then are now coming to the fore. And, uh, and, 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 and we can see the energy of a number of those cases uh, taking root in the criminal justice system. The, we saw recently Anush Singh. Those things are going to be going into, uh, with the Saka. Uh, results against him, the the ruling against him, that information now finds its way to the NPA, the Dudumieni matter, and so many others, and 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 I think you know you've got to have the tenacity and the resilience to stay the course when it fight when you come to this fight, it's not uh, going to happen overnight, but but we know that big things are coming and uh, I, wanted to we ask, just wish-
0: I wanted to ask you about that and make the final question. One of our first questions from Clive Beckett and, and many viewers yeah. asked this question, you, you know more than we do. You liaise with organs of state and, and, and you're busy all day long uh, when it comes to corruption and corruption busting. Uh, do you believe we're getting closer to seeing big arrests, uh, arrests that would that will yes. make the headlines?
1: Yes. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and I've been saying this for some time, and I also get frustrated. We, many people get frustrated, but nothing's happened, nothing's happened. But the, the signs of, of, of things to come are happening. The Transnet and Eskim cases are complex. They are very widespread. There are many ways to tackle them. You can go very focused and narrow individual by individual. You can go wide. Um depending on which way you go, and, and, and this is, again, the NPA's decisions and the independent directorate, they've got to make the decisions on how they tackle them. The wider they go, the more complex and, and, and time-consuming they are. Nonetheless, it's their work, but need, they need to be supported, uh, and, and, and that's our, our role. But you must also understand that we're not just about that. Uh, if you look at the challenges that we're bringing on the – the Aurora case, we've spoken about that. SAA, we're engaging with the minister and and others to make sure that your money, uh, taxpayers' money, is not used to bail out this entity to the extent that they think they want to, if they want to still be a state-owned company. It has to become a privatised company, otherwise we've got plans to do other things. And this this is just one of, you know, we've got about 86 projects still uh, that we're working on at the moment, Uh, 175 I think we've done in the last... Uh, four years. So more than half of them are closed um, with an 80% success rate. Some of them are fast, some of them are long. Uh, it's just a mix of tackling this issue of wasteful expenditure and corruption through a quiver that is filled with different strategies, different tactics, different uh, 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 methodologies. And when you add them all together, you have this organization that runs on high people energy. Uh, and it's and it's just overwhelmed at the moment because there's no shortage of stuff coming at us. You know what's sad, Tom, mm-hmm. is the amount of projects that are so good that we should be taking on. We just cannot get to them because there's just too much. And the, we're talking billions of rands. Um, so we have to be very careful how we select our, our projects because if you do too many, you you go nowhere. Uh, and 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 we've got to. Uh, uh, also finish off some of the projects that have been taking too long because sometimes you just get to a, a, a stalemate and you've got to dr- abandon some of these uh, projects and move into new spaces. But I must say that I'm positive about it uh, for a number of reasons. But the signs are there. If it wasn't, if if Tom Moyani was still heading up SARS, if, if, uh, if, 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 if Sean Abrams was heading up the NPA still, if, if Zuma or Dlamini Zumo or that cronyism, faction was in power uh, I'd be disillusioned be extremely disappointed I'd be depressed like much of the psyche of this country but we cannot allow ourselves to go there we've got to get ourselves out of the hole the hole got deeper because of this pandemic the hole got deeper because of our downgrade but we can get out of it it's just going to take a bit longer but we cannot not do anything we've got to we've got to do something and doing something is better than doing nothing
0: and there we'll leave the questions for the night. Final comments coming up from Wayne Duvenage uh, to you, the Outer Hour viewer and Outer supporter. But first, Matt Johnston. Uh, Matt, your final words for our viewers tonight.
2: Uh, not much to add, Tom, except to say, you know, thanks for the opportunity and thank you for everyone watching. I do think that this is an important part of just doing something, like Wayne is saying, is, is really talking about these issues firstly. So that we can actually rally some support, which we need to be able to do what we do. And the more support we have, the more we can do. So thank you very much to everyone watching and supporting us. And um, we will do as much as we can.
0: Thank you, Matt, and a, a safe night. And a, a, we don't have to say warm night anymore now that the temperatures have gone up. But have a pleasant night, Matt Johnston. Um, You know, Wayne, I was recording an interview with uh, Dr. Teddy Blatcher uh, today. uh, He put up Cedar City Campus and now CEO of the Maharishi Invincibility Institute, a man who has uh, won many awards and and accolades in his career, passionate about education. And one of the things that came through on that interview was how he spoke about some some of our government employees, civil servants, public servants who are so passionate about the work they do. It's unfortunate that when uh, corruption takes the front seat, a lot of the good efforts uh, of, of people in government seem to take the back seat. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to ask you, as we, as we close tonight, what would your message be for the civil servants, public servants who are committed to fixing this country and doing a sterling job and, 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 and abiding by a, a decent code of ethics, uh, as well as our supporters this evening?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a very good point, uh, Tom. We tend to paint a brush against government across the board there you know it's it's a small percentage of roads that make it uh, tough and and if we can hold their feet to the fire and change that uh 90 percent more you know i don't know what the actual figure is of government officials and and and, and, and people in, in in the administration are hard-working uh people people with good meaning uh, maybe there's more capacity building that is required uh but but yeah they 're not bad people; they want to fix things, and they're just hijacked and, uh, and pushed aside and ignored by those who hijack the system, the few, the very few. So we must um, find those gems uh, and if we can root out the small percentage if we can if we make life difficult for them, if we can accountability, we can start turning If the transparency mechanisms which we are fighting for are in place to raise the flags before the money is spent and These are the things we're working with on the anti-corruption forums and other uh, bodies that we sit on. Um, that's when the wheel starts to turn a lot faster. And COVID has has ex- exposed how many uh, how many flaws there are, and I think got government to realise that this is not something they can ignore anymore. And that door we pushed wider and wider open. So so we're seizing these opportunities to to, to drive more efficiency, processes and transparency, and and. and so let's build on that. Uh, let's be positive about the fact that the, that the, 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 the curve can go upwards. The prosperity levels can, can grow. The fact that we've got a lot of debt to settle, the fact that we've got a lot of work still to do, is the, uh, is, 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 is the stuff that generally drags us down, mm. but because we allow it to drag us down. Let's look forward. History is something that we will learn from, but not get stuck in. That space, because if we do, then all we're going to do is drag ourselves backwards. Let's see and look forward as to what should happen. Uh, tourism is an amazing uh, enabler in this country, uh, and yet our government doesn't see it, uh, and it is linked to 13 other industries: vehicles, uh, hospitality. Uh, it's across the board by busing companies. Uh, uh, restaurants. The, the tourism industry has the opportunity and the potential to be a big enabler. But we've got to change government's current perception because they just don't see it. And, uh, and this is an- another part of the work that we've got to also focus
0: Wayne, thank Excited, you. Yeah, you. Excited, Tom. Yeah, I, I, you know that there's change uh, in the air when the, the, the Eskom CEO talks about the future being renewable energy, which was something they weren't saying 10 years ago. So the times, they are a-changing. Thank you, Wayne, and a, a good night to you in your COVID-19 office. We look forward to having you in the studio soon.
1: Yeah, and thanks to the team at Arta, really every one of them—they are extreme, they're gems, they're amazing people. They give me energy and give the extra energy. And then just to all our supporters, you guys, we—you rock, we love you. Uh, just tell all your friends and family, come on board, uh, we need you. Cheers. Have a good evening.
0: That's the CEO of Outer, Wayne Divanage, and you have open access to the team at Outer every Wednesday night at around 7 o'clock. Ask any question you like. Post any question, uh, comment you want in the comment section down below. But most of all, we ask you to like and share this uh, episode before you switch off your phone or your laptop for the night. Please do like and share it. I'm going to hold on to the belief, and it is a belief of mine, and I, I guess there are you know, many people who share this belief. I hope so that uh, that there are more good people than bad people in government, that there are more good people and than bad people in South Africa, and in the end, the good will prevail. This show was put together by Benelis Natla. Uh, the comms team at Outer is headed by Samantha Van and assisted by Iva Cleary. We will be back on your radio and on your phone, on your computer, next week at around 7 o'clock. Make sure you tune in and... Uh, Join hands, South Africans, as we become active citizens together. I'm Tom London. I wish you a very pleasant week. I hope you make some money in the next seven days. I hope things start picking up if you're in business. I hope if you're looking for work that you find it. And I hope most of all that you and your family stay safe. Until then, I miss you already. Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused,
3: the outer hour where your voice matters.